When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they can become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined by my co-host, Chris Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, I'm doing great. I'm riding high, fresh off the heels of a victory in the finest league. There we go. Yeah, man, I'm I'm feeling great. I'm really devouring a lot of uh, MCP content right now really into the game trying to get as many games in as i can so yeah i'm that's where i'm at that's great now that you're back in town that's possible right it's very possible and (laughs) games games in person are very much preferred so you're making up for lost time essentially attempting through games attempting playing a lot of mutants as we talked about last episode how's gene performing you did talk about last episode how you were starting to crack the code on gene how the how's that going she's very strong (laughs) (laughs) that's my report it's good man there's this thing about her that i really love in the late game okay that is to be able to move enemy characters with an already activated token absolutely and being able to do that to say criminal syndicate so let's just for instance kingpin move him short away from the brawl get him away from from the objective he has to burn a uh an action getting back to it that's really big on turn four i mean i know it sounds not that big but her late game positioning is this is this repositioning of the opponent is something i'm starting to really really play with and plan out but sometimes you just want to activate her first and nuke somebody Yeah, I do like her versatility, though. Like when you're talking about moving models, Chris, I I honestly think that's why you take Gene because no character in the game has that. It's very unique. And obviously, it can be used on your own models as well. So right. Very interesting. Being able to keep models from being moved by superpowers is also very nice. Yeah, it's 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 honestly huge. So you can keep your defensive formation. You can keep your form and really, really focus fire on your opponent i can imagine gene being really powerful in those tighter maps where the objectives are not so spread i.e the c's and the e's of the world but that that's very exciting yeah i 
have been playing more TTS games as well, still deep in the spider foes, which is very, very exciting. I think for next league, I will probably be playing the Guardians, going back to my first love. But, you know, my number one bad guy team is performing well. It's it's really fun. Goblin is a incredible piece. He always has been. He just got a little bit better. And you know, Chris, that's what we're going to start talking about on our character-centric episodes starting right now is the spider foes. And we're going to do this for some time because it's interesting. If you go through the life of Fury's Finest, our show, we started in October 2019 and we've been around over two years, but we have held off on doing Green Goblin. And this was our plan all along. You and I talked off mic many, many times. We really, about, we really did. He's not lying or exaggerating about any of this. <laughs> we had to do Doc Ock with the corset models, of course, early on. We had to talk about the corset models, but we made an early decision very early in the cycle of our planning for this podcast's future. We will delay Green Goblin until all the spider foes are out, until we have spider foes cards. And, you know, we can't account for everything. You never know. We probably will get more spider foes in the future. I hope. I pray. But right now, we actually have a full spider foes roster that can actually be played on the table more than just Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus. So now, these episodes make a lot more sense. We can actually talk about interactions with other spider foes characters. We can kind of talk about the synergy of the team, how it all works under Norman's leadership, etc. And that's why we're starting the spider foes now. So what we're going to do is we're going to be going through a spider foe every episode, and then we will end on Green Goblin. So it's going to be a really exciting time, Chris. It's going to be really fun. It is going to be great. And Jesse, just don't worry about more spider foes. I'm not going to get into speculating or anything about characters coming, but Right. I will just say, with the release of Juggernaut coming soon, Rhino is not much different from that model. This Juggernaut is clearly the precursor to the best character, best MCP model that will ever hit the table. Oh, man. Rhino. I like that thought. I like that idea. And I love your enthusiasm on the potential of his model being one of the best in the game. I love the character Rhino as well, Chris. And, you know, a budget Hulk or Juggernaut would be neat. That's an interesting concept. Oh, that's exactly what he's going to be. Time will tell. But today, Chris, we are not talking about Green Goblin. We're not talking about Rhino. We are talking about Lizard, one of my favorite characters in Marvel Crisis Protocol. And you use him very effectively. I appreciate that. I'm happy I can because he is one of the most gorgeous models in the entire line of nearly 100 models. And that's saying something. It's incredible. And I almost, after really diving into the character, I almost feel like this was on purpose. (laughs) They had to give such a boring character something unique that, that would drive sales of that model. And it was absolutely that character, Lizard, having one of the best sculpts in the game, which, as you just said, does really say something. Well, I'm glad you touched on that thought and saying a boring character, because you and I did recently touch on the spider foes and kind of how they were one of the first early elements of Marvel that really truly touched on our favorite elements of horror and monster features. Well, and the fact that they were introduced so early really was a blessing and curse for these characters. Uh, The blessing, of course, is that Clark Connors is kind of a pop icon figure. I mean, low level, of course, but, you know, when Spider-Man shows up, Lizard's going to be there. You know, first movie, first season, whatever form it's going to (laughs) be, he's one of these classic, classic villains. But on the other hand, we all know who he is, not just you and I, certified nerds, Mm -hmm. but 
that guy walking down the street outside your house <laughs> knows who he is. So the character cannot change too much. So you see that mm. we'll get into more of it. It is such a catch-22. And I think you're touching on a topic, Chris, which is really important going forward on the weeks to follow about the Spider-Foes, because I think that's kind of a through line with a lot of the Spider-Foes. Obviously, some are much more dynamically interesting and complex than others, but a lot of them are more their feel, their look, their iconic original designs. And then, you know, some of the characterization gets put aside and just only given to the big bads in Spider-Man because, you know, lizards always got to be lizard. You know, there's, there's things like this in the yep. Spider-Man canon. It's kind of consistent. We can get different versions of Doc Ock and Norman Osborn, but someone like the lizard, they might just have to remain the lizard, you know? And that's, that's probably a good thing. It's an anchoring well, His identity moment. is so predicated on being the lizard. Where can you really take the character? I'm looking forward to getting into lore, but before we get into lore, even more Spider-Foes talk, Chris, we do have to take care of some business. <laughs> Fury's Finest is supported by DiscountGamesInc.com. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support this show, Fury's Finest, at Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy our show and would like to join our community, consider supporting with a monthly contribution. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. And Chris, we have a patron of the week, which is very exciting. We sure do have a patron of the week, and this week a... Very, very special, special thank you to Sean C. Sean, we appreciate it, man. Sean is very active in the Fury's Finest Discord. So when life gives you lemons, you call on Sean C. That's oh, all I'm going to say. No. But Sean is a incredible gamer in the local area in Tulsa. So it's cool to see his name come up on the list. And we truly thank you for the support, Sean. Thanks, dude. But Chris... This show and this episode would not happen without our Avenger producers, Zach Attack, Rusty, Keith, and Dylan. Thank you. There are fantastic four. They certainly are, and they remain. All right, Chris, it's time to talk lizard lore. Let's talk about Dr. Curtis Connors. Dr. Connors is a brilliant, brilliant geneticist and, unfortunately, an amputee. So, naturally... He's going to become the lizard. Duh. <laughs> Get around that, so, <laughs> you know? His first appearance in comics is in The Amazing Spider-Man number 6, November 1963. He was created, of course, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Let's talk about his superpowers a little bit. When transformed into the lizard, his strength is increased to superhuman levels. His speed, stamina, agility, reflexes, all raised to at least that of Spider-Man. He has wall crawling. So, okay, we finally got to the point where I have to talk about this. <laughs> like I was kind of touching on in the intro, Lizard has gone through changes, but they never stick. They're always gone two or three story arcs later, or he disappears and comes back, and he's back to being the exact character he was before the changes ever happened. It just keeps happening to him. And it's for those reasons we t I talked about a little bit earlier. But his power set is going to change through time and then revert. For a while, he's going to be able to even 
affect humans sub what do they call it sub lizard brain or something like that so has minor you know mind control powers uh, kind of over people's subconscious and things like that and it's just it just gets wild but ultimately he is a dr jekyll mr hyde character he is super strong big bad guy breaks lots of things yeah kind of a hulk thing going on where he's dumb you know well lizard is in control definitely split personality and he has a lot of reptile features too chris which always appealed to me as a kid because i'm a huge reptile fan and i I like how they kind of incorporate those elements into the character of course the teeth and the claws yep but he has an extremely muscular jaw with a crazy bite force similar to a crocodile right he's also cold-blooded right which is another weird part Connor's uh, developed his serum in Florida. So, of course, they are very, it's going to be very alligator and crocodile-like. But yeah, when Lizard is in control, he is cold-blooded. It's actually a weakness. It is a weakness, depending on who's writing and the plot and everything like that. So, let's really get into the character. Kurt Connors does have a family, a young son named Billy, and a wife whom are constant uh, story devices for him. But after becoming the lizard, he would move to New York and, of course, have a run-in with Peter Parker, whom he would continue to have a relationship throughout his history. You know, of course, we all remember the cartoon. Dr. Connors is usually Peter's ally, and that's very true in the comics as well. But something always happens and the lizard comes out. And a lot of these lizard incidents are really just kind of the same over and over. Just some stressor brings on the lizard and Spider-Man cures him. It just keeps, keeps happening. I love that element, Chris, of the story. Spider-Man does have a empathy for Doc Connors. Oh, absolutely. And it's very fun and it's a great relationship throughout the history of the comics. But for a long time, it's just going to be that kind of ritz and repeat type thing then we're going to have oh and i need i do need to mention the primary motivation of the lizard is to turn all of humanity into human lizard hybrids like himself that's what he wants to do right and that's it (laughs) and evolves human race in his mind right in his mind yes but chris the writers do kind of break the formula right with lizard and it's not just always this cycle so when does that start We're going to have some pretty interesting things happen. I'm going to cut to my favorite here. He's going to go through a lot of different things, but the best, the absolute best, is during the events of The Gauntlet, a storyline from a Spider-Man series. So what is going to happen here is Connors is going to be working at his job. At this point, he's got the lizard pretty much under control. And he is working for a pharmaceutical company named Felcorp. And he's working directly under the executive Brian King. At this point in the story, Connors had lost custody of his son, Billy. And this was a major, major stressor, kind of bringing that lizard personality to the fore. He's going to be hearing that voice in his head, telling Kurt to let the lizard take control. And he keeps suppressing it. He keeps suppressing it until his boss starts an adult relationship with his lab assistant, whom Kurt might have maybe a little something for, who knows. But 
not only is this going to happen, and it's really going to upset Kurt, but King is going to kind of get in the way and tease him about having to take this suppression formula. And that's going to be the final straw. Connors is going to transform and immediately devour this executive. Just straight eats him. So it gets better, guys. Now that Spider-Man knows that Kurt has transformed, he books it to protect Kurt's son, Billy. Because Peter knew, you know, it's been part of the pattern sometimes that that Connors tries to lash out and in protecting Billy, put him in more danger than he would otherwise be. But of course, Billy's been kidnapped and his foster parents are being held hostage by Anna Cravenoff. Anna had left Billy out in the alleyway where Dr. Connors ate his own son. Just let it sink in for a second. Because of this, Kurt is going to... Psyche is shattered, of course, and he's going to retreat into his mind, causing this kind of metamorphosis, and this is going to lead into a change in the lizard's appearance, uh, more spikes, it's going to be more iguana-like in a lot of ways, and this is when Kurt is going to develop those minor mind control powers, being able to communicate with the lizard portion, the evolutionary lizard portion of the human brain. But not only that, when he makes this metamorphosis, Kurt is gone. The two personalities have melded. He is just Lizard, but he has that human intelligence. He's he's very brilliant, actually. So using his mind control, he's trying to kind of get everyone around to give in to their, you know, the Lizard portion of their brain. Because of this, uh, Peter has to flee. Of course, his Connors kind of forces him to flee using this mind control. So what Peter's going to do is take the lizard, a dose of the lizard suppressing formula that Connors has and re-engage lizard. The dose of the suppressant formula keeps Connors mind control at bay. And Peter is able to get him to change back into Connors eventually where they start dealing with everything. And that is my absolute favorite <laughs> kind of crazy, wacky lizard story. But of course, after this, it's all going to kind of slowly just go back to normal. And, uh, you know, Billy and his wife are going to be revived. And the stories continue. The cycle continues, just like always. Very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde cycle. In a lot of ways, it's kind of Hulk-ish as well. So, Chris, that leads us to Lizard and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And up to this point, he's not coming to the modern MCU. He's been in the old Marvel films. I'm, of course, talking about the amazing Spider-Man number one, where Doc Connors is the main foil to Peter Parker. And he is played by Reese Iphens. And he did a really good job. And they actually did a pretty good Lizard in this movie. <laughs> you know, as you touched on earlier... Using the lizard as your first villain is always a solid way to start off a new Spider-Man series, and it's something Spider-Man's done many times, not just movies, but of course comics. Oh yeah, and he has such a distinct look. Everything about his character is is given to you uh, just based on how he looks and how he's acting in that moment as Lizard. That's everything you need to know. That's true. But the relationship between Peter and Doc Connors, you know, exactly. there's been several versions of it throughout the comics, and now we have it in this movie as well. 
they always do a good job. Like there's a relationship there. So there's emotional stakes as well, you know, and that's a big part of it. You know, always Peter being this brilliant science student too gets him in interesting positions in all the universes of Spider-Man. He's been a, a intern or a peer or a student of some sort of spider foes villain in like every universe. And it's, it's one of those things like, I kind of love that that trope always ties Peter to their alter egos, if that makes sense, to their non-supervillain forms quite frequently in movies, in comics, in Ultimate Comics, you know, the list goes on. I always find that part fascinating, too. And it's a trend we're going to see going forward. Yeah. It's definitely a trend. I mean, that new Spider-Man game, still yet to play it, but I watched one of my good buddies play it. What an incredible game. And the relationship they explore in that game in particular between Peter Parker and Dr. Octavius is stellar. And that's the type of stuff we really love as Spider-Man fans because, you know, Peter is a, he's a great superhero, but really we all know why we love Peter. He's a great person and he's a, he's a regular every person who is a superhero. So when he actually has these emotional relationships with the characters before they have their science accident or whatever it is in the case of Spider-Man villains, and then they become the villain there's even more there before the fight. And Lizard is no different. He's an interesting character. He's just not just not deep enough for me sometimes. I'm sorry. He is just a villain, right? And that's what the sort of thing that you and I have talked about on the show a lot. Sometimes we have villain episodes and they're fairly short. You know, there's interesting things there, but sometimes certain villains, all they do is recycle their own decisions that they've made in previous timelines, stories, eras, and they kind of keep that perpetuated because they can't really do much more than that because that's the complexity of their villainousness, really. Hey, that's, yeah, that's that's pulp storytelling. It's, like I said, it's right. a blessing and a curse. So you just, yeah. just kind of got to roll with it. That's what we sign up for uh, with them. And when it gets too much, you just kind of take a break and move on to something else for a little bit and come back. That's also why I think the monster of the week sort of feel of Spider-Man is so strong because the monsters, the feel of the monsters, the design, even when it changes, it's always so consistent, Chris, with these characters. But in order to do that and keep that pulp feel or the pop culture insanity, as you mentioned, how everyone can recognize all these spider villains, even if they're not big nerds, is you do lose some characterization sometimes. And that is par for the course. But I do love this character. I mean, the design alone can we talk about, Chris, how great it is that the lizard, when he transforms and hulks out, as you mentioned earlier, he's always in that lab coat and he rips through it, you know? Oh, yeah, man. I got a tattered lab coat on him. Man, it's just, it's quality, classic movie monster genius, you know, in the design. And it's just been a staple of his look, you know? And I always love when he has like, He'll have like the name badge, you know, on his lab coat and helps him get through door access and stuff. You know, it's just, (laughs) it's just a nice little feature that seems out of place when you see the monster, but then you realize what this character is and you're like, okay, it's all part of the picture. You know, it's all part of the picture. I don't know. We do love him here. Yeah. And it's a fun, it's a very fun picture. It's, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not being disparaging. This is just one of, this is a tightrope you have to walk uh, when writing, when doing, you know, long form, big two comic books. And speaking of our picture of the character, Chris, you know, me growing up on the Spider-Man cartoon of the sixties. And then of course the Spider-Man cartoon of the nineties, I just always think of lizard in those purple pants. He's Mm -hmm. always in them. It's just too iconic that that classic Marvel pairing 
of green and purple, those perfect pairing colors. And then you got the white lab coat on top of that. It's it's a very iconic look for the character. Four color villains, baby. Oh, man. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in the spider foes. And I'm looking forward to talking more about that design choice. And, you know, a interesting through line, Chris, with all the spider foes, which makes sense because Spider-Man's red, the color green. Lots of it. That's right. Lots of it in the spider foes. Chris, we got to close out our lore like we always do and talk about a comic book recommendation about this character, the lizard. Okay, I'm going to give you that one, that one that I thought was so interesting. Yes. It is in The Amazing Spider-Man number 630 through 633. The story arc is named Shed. It's very interesting. It it just reboots the character altogether. It's very cool, and I wish they would have gone with it, but it just, unfortunately, it didn't stick. But that's okay. That doesn't make this story any less good. Okay. Well, Chris, with that recommendation, we got to get straight into Lizard and Marvel Crisis Protocol. So let's get over to strategy. His name is Lizard. His alter ego is Curtis Connors. On his healthy side, he has a stamina of six, a move of medium, a height of three, and a threat cost of three. His defenses are four physical, three energy, and three mystic. To round it out, Chris, on his injured side, his stamina decreases and goes down to five, giving him a total of 11. We did mention he's a medium move, but what I will always mention, like we would like to do in this moment, Chris, is he's a medium move on a medium-sized base. So he is fast. You have to talk about base size when talking about movement. It's part of the movement in this game. But yeah, he gets across the board way quicker than you would expect. A medium base with a medium move is essentially a long move on a small base. So Very crocodilian of him. Yes, Moving a short distance in a very small amount of time. So any thoughts on these stats? They actually are slightly above our average curve. Yeah, he is... Honestly, he's a scary three, and that four physical defense is a big reason why we'll get into more of those reasons, but yet he doesn't have an obvious weakness. You'd think maybe with that four, there would come maybe a two with energy or something like that. Like a beast, yeah. Yep, but no, sir. And this character shares a lot of similarities with beast, though he is more one note than beast, but we'll get into that here shortly. His first attack is a physical attack called tail whip it's range three a strength of four and a power cost of zero after this attack is resolved lizard gains power equal to the damage dealt and if you get a wild you trigger push if the target character is size three or less that's right equal to lizard's size or less before the damage is dealt you may push the target away from lizard short chris this is lizard strike it's good the range three really 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 helps this character a lot I cannot stress that enough, how big of a difference it would be if that was, that tail whip was a range two, even if it had maybe an extra dice to go with it. But that range three and that wild push really help him out when he's in the middle of it. And that's the balancing act, Chris. The four dice is not good. It being physical, not good. But it being range three with a wild push that's size three, amazing. So it's an interesting... Yep. 
give and take. And it's why he's one of my favorite characters right now, Chris, because I can send him somewhere and I can fish for wild pushes, you know, with his tail and kind of hold position and score an objective with just lizard. Yeah, you've done it to me a few times. Okay, let's talk about his next attack. It is a physical attack. It is cold-blooded with a range of two, a strength of seven, and a power cost of three. If this attack deals damage after the attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed and slow special conditions. So, three spent, three power, not a ton. Not an insignificant amount either, though. Seven dice, that's pretty good. Physical, I don't know. But if you can get both of those, both that bleed and that slow on a character, that's really, really good. Especially against mm-hmm. some of those powerhouses. You know, those big physical in the middle of everything. Oh, yeah. Characters. Just just load them down with conditions, as many as possible. So I like this attack kind of as a utility. I don't think it makes the character. I don't think you're bringing him for this at all. You know, it is an a tool in his bag that is worth using. Yeah, it can help you finish KOs too, right? I know we can get yes. fixated on the kind of semi-auto bleed and slow. I say semi-auto. You do have to get damage through. Just yeah. one damage though, Chris, and you get auto bleed and slow. So that's really nice. Like there are no wild triggers here. You know, I kind of like this situation where it's seven dice. They could have made it one of the situations where it could have been eight dice, maybe cost four. And then you have a bunch of wild triggers for a bunch of conditions. I prefer it this way because you can kind of bank on getting a damage through on somebody with this and getting the bleed and slow off. Absolutely cripples amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker. You know, Mm -hmm. there's some irony there to that. And also, Chris, thematically, we've got to talk about this is his jaw bite we were talking about earlier in lore, 100%. you yep. got to be ranged too. That's another weakness of it. So his jaws can actually get to them. But he's clamping down hard. He's biting, giving them bleed and slow. Now they're limping out of the battle. Right. It's interesting. It's one of those things when you have tons of power on Lizard, there's no reason not to use this. But when you don't have tons of power, this can get a little pricey because moving on, he has a superpower that costs power. So moving on to his superpowers, he has three. The first one is a active superpower called Biochemical Breakthrough. It costs three power. Choose an interactive train feature or enemy character, both size three or less, and within range two of the lizard, and throw it short. This superpower can only be used once per turn. Okay, Chris, paying three for three. We've talked about that before. That's good. Anytime you just pay the size cost, that's right. good. Absolutely. Even better, though, is that you can do terrain with this as well. So Beast has a better character throw. Beast costs two to throw size threes, but Beast cannot throw terrain. Lizard pays three, and he can throw terrain and people. So Lizard pays a higher price, going to be throwing people less in a game than Beast, but he has more options. More utility, right. And this is the juxtaposition we have with the spender we just talked about, cold-blooded, where he's clamping down and giving you those conditions. If you have three, you're probably just going to do this a lot, you know, the throws. So that's the issue where it's like, okay, you have eight power or so. Okay, 100%. Do cold-blooded, then throw them away. That's huge. And then maybe tail whip them even further away, right? That's a big turn. But that was only possible because you had six plus power, you know? So it's one of those things you've got to spend the power right in this game. And, you know, now we can touch on the obvious elephant in the room, Chris, with Tail Whip, that you really don't build that much power Tail Whip. There's a reason there's not a lot of spenders with this character. He's not going to have much power to spend. He just isn't. And that's okay. He's an excellent three. 
Yeah. But like I was saying, cold-blooded, not bad. I see some uses for it. It's a nice tool. But you're really you're going to maybe use it once a game, if that? Probably, yeah. You're going to be throwing people as much as possible. And honestly, if a lizard's getting off several cold-blooded, like you might be doing something wrong against them because you're giving them too much power or you're not deleting that lizard off the table, honestly, before they can spend all that power. But Chris, he only has two superpowers left. If you want to read those for us, it's technically three because the last one is two innates. It's technically three, but we have three innate superpowers here or two, however you look at it. The first is thick hide. When lizard would suffer damage from an enemy effect, reduce the amount suffered by one to a minimum of one. He also has healing factor one, which is, I think he's the first non-mutant to have a healing factor. Correct, because the only yeah. other non-Sabertooth, Deadpool, Logan model is Cassandra Nova. Right. And of course, I said it during lore, he is a wall crawler, which I absolutely love. That is another reason he can just get across the battlefield so quickly. It's really nice. Absolutely. It's why he is so fast. But talking about Thick Hide and Healing Factor, Chris, this is why you take this character. He has slightly above average defensive stats. He has slightly above average health. He's at 11 instead of 10, right? But then you add in Thick Hide, and then you add in Healing Factor, and now it gets very complicated on how to actually calculate his defensive stats and his health. But I can tell you this, they're higher than what's on the card. <laughs> He's a tanky boy. That's right. Even his injured side, his five health side, it is hard to get that down. Yeah. He's tough. You've got you to focus him with energy and mystic attacks and just get damage through. You can't do little pings of damage. I mean, no. little pings are fine because a ping will get through the innate, right? But you really got to get these big chunks of damage into him. You just don't want to do small dice pools against him really is the biggest thing. But I don't know. The healing factor is less of a element in him, Chris, than you would think. It's yeah. nice as a lizard player. Sometimes you forget it. It just happens. But I mean, healing factor one is nice. It's good. But you know, what really turns lizard on and makes him a powerhouse is the thick hide. Just like we talked about recently in our Luke Cage episode. These things are great. Yeah. This is why the Black Order is so powerful because they all have versions of this superpower, right? Thanos being the ultimate version of this where he has no minimum reduction issue. So you just love seeing this on any brawler type character. Even Tony's got it. Tony Stark, which really, set, yeah. he is not a, he is not a brawler, but it, I don't know. It's kind of makes him hard to kill. It's kind of off on. Yeah. It makes him a little tougher, but it's, it's that armor, maybe man. not a home run. Yeah. Maybe not a home run there, but I love it on rogue. I love it everywhere, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's really fantastic. It really, really keeps him alive longer. I'd say way more so than the healing factor. I think you block a lot more damage than you heal. Yeah. And what's been really funny, Chris, about the healing factor is sometimes it's just a way to mitigate objectives and conditions. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain that. I've been playing lizard a lot where I'll take damage outside of the gamma shelter or I'll take damage from bleeds because I won't shake the bleed. In a weird way, my healing, my healing factor is just kind of auto-correcting what just happened to me from the gamma or from the bleed. I could be healing more if I shake the bleed or if I get inside the gamma, but sometimes you don't have that option. 
And so it's nice for that. I mean, it's kind of bleed insurance, yep. if anything, you know, and that makes sense for the character thematically. He's not immune to bleed like Luke Cage is, but the healing factor gets around that. Cage does not have healing factor, but Cage has the reduction. So we're seeing a lot of similarities and differences between these characters. Of course, Lizard does not have bodyguard or anything like that for his team. He's solely focused on his one job. And that's kind of the thing about this character, Chris. When you read this card, he seems very not exciting and very simple. And I, I can tell you, playing the character, he actually is exciting. <laughs> it's it's a weird he is, thing. He's pretty exciting. He's a workhorse of your team. You don't have to think of him as this big flashy player. You just think of him as a consistent teammate who's always going to do their consistent job every time. And that's good. I mean, that's a good person to have on your team in Marvel Christ Protocol, and Lizard fulfills that role. Hence why I think he's probably good on every team in the game right now. I'm not saying take him on every team. I'm just saying you could blindly grab a Lizard, kind of like how we talked about recently about the strength of Iron Fist and Luke Cage. You can kind of blindly grab these characters, sit down, and just start playing, and they kind of fit all the teams because they're just consistent at what they do. And I, I really do like that. I like having these consistent characters in the game that also are a little bit specialized. And then you can get really specialized with some other three threats, right? And we do have both in the game. It's great. I, I really love looking at it from a perspective of you've got to have a couple characters that can get a certain job done. Right. Somebody's got to be able to get up into melee and stay alive long enough to disrupt a little bit. And Lizard does that very, very well for three threat. I just I think he's an incredible tank. I think he's one of the better three threats. Yeah, there's a reason you see him all over the place. He's good. He's good. Yeah, he's not flashy at all. He has no crazy spikes, honestly. But like he's he's so consistent. Yeah, you're not taking him for spikes. You're no. you're taking him for area control and damage soaking. Really. Here's an interesting juxtaposition, Chris. I've played a lot of Lizard, and now I've played a ton of Carnage. And overall, over all my games, Lizard has performed. So much better than Carnage, who's a four threat. I believe that 100%. But what's funny is I've had blowout games with Carnage where I completely OTK my opponent, but there's also games where Carnage just doesn't hit his dice. And when he doesn't hit his dice, he doesn't do his thing. And he's only good at one thing. That's right. KOing models and hitting his dice. So Lizard is one of those models that we play MCP, we position models on the table, we play objectives. If our dice go cold, that's fine because we're doing the main tenets of the game. And Lizard is one of those characters. And he, in fact, he's stronger than a lot of characters at doing that thing, positioning on the map, trying to win objectives, and not really caring about if his dice hit. That's that's good design. His dice don't even need to hit. You, you don't need to hit any dice with this True. character for him to be effective. He affects a completely different part of the game from Carnage. And, and albeit it is a less valuable one overall... I think he affects it in a large enough way that it, it pretty much puts him right on par there with a lot of those big damage dealers. He's, you know, he's the dirty, he's the dirty work guy. <laughs> he's the team player. The sewer man. You know, the gym rat. That's true. No, he's definitely the team player, Chris. And, you know, I can't imagine a Spider-Foes team without him. But before we talk about his affiliations, he does have a card that you and I have talked about on the show during our news segment, but we're going to talk about it again because it is worth mentioning because every time a character has a named card, it is very unique because not every character does. 
Right. The name of the tactics card is Monkey Brain is Lizard Home. During Lizard's activation, he may spend three to play this card. Lizard may use the attack listed above once this activation. So you can't use this twice with two actions. After each attack is resolved, the target character is pushed away from Lizard short. So before we even read the attack, Chris, we know no matter what, the target's getting thrown away short. That is nice. Which is great. And then when you read the attack, let's go ahead and read it. It is a physical attack. It is Lizard Brain. Its range is area two. Mm. Mm. That's you right. love it. He's just, it. he's just circling with that tail and clearing some space. <laughs> He is. The strength is five and the power cost is zero because you're really just you're paying, paying three, the three to play the card. Exactly. Right. So this is an incredibly powerful card. It has been a difficult time to get this into your roster with the eight card yes. maximum. But now that's changing to 10, Chris. So I think with cards like this in the game, the 10 card maximum is is quite literally four cards like this. This gives you the option to bring this into your roster. And I'm talking like, I'm going to bring this in my 10 Spider-Foes now, potentially. And I might even take it every game I bring Lizard, but I have it as an option, right? And it's one of those things, that's what the 10 Tactics cards opens up. It opens up, oh, I always play Lizard in my Spider-Foes team, so this card's worth taking. But I, I don't know if I'm going to mm-hmm. play it in my five. Oh, we're playing on Gamma. We're all playing E objectives. Yeah. Okay, this is the one game. We're taking this is where it. this exactly. is where it is. And that's when that 10th card slot really really shines and the player the player's mind and sort of turn zero really comes into play in a really interesting way with these new changes. So I'm super excited about it. Right now this card is not seeing a lot of play because Lizard's just so solid and you're just probably taking cards for your normal team and generic cards, but I think we're going to see it pretty soon, Chris. I really do. But we got to move on to our favorite part of strategy, closing out strategy, talking about affiliations for Lizard. So Lizard is only affiliated right now in the game with one team. That's the Spider-Foes. Perfect fit for this team, Chris. He's a three threat. He fills out their roster. He's a medium-sized base with a medium move. A interesting theme they have in their team that not all teams have. I absolutely love that's something about yeah, Spider-Foes. It's pretty interesting. It's a lot of big bases. It's pretty cool. They also have small bases that move medium medium, and even short, so it's kind of up in the air, but he fits in that that mid-tier alongside Doc Ock, along Green Goblin, alongside Carnage, where they're all medium bases with medium moves, so it's an interesting hidden facet of the team's construction. They're a lot faster than you think. That's right, and they're big boys, because a lot of them are size three, and that's an, another yep. interesting feature of, the, of this team. When you play a lot of MCP, you realize how strong a character being size three or bigger is because the amount of characters that can push or throw them decrease exponentially. And this is why the Steve change recently to size three yes. is big. It's good. It is big. But he's a good spider folk, Chris. He likes to re-roll one of his opponent's dice to guarantee getting damage through. Once again, the spider foe's re-roll of an enemy's defensive dice really helps guarantee the cold-blooded bleed and slow so that's really nice yes it is also it just helps lizard build power that's really the biggest thing about it other than that he just fits the team profile you know we always talk about you can't just look at the team's leadership only you got to look at the team as a whole he fits the team profile so well and he likes the leadership he doesn't love it but he likes it he gains more power from it and he can get cold-blooded off consistently 
these are all good things for him. But moving on, it turns out this lizard man can fit on almost any team. He's just that good. I play him in the Sam Swarm right now. Being a lower level threat character definitely helps. But yeah, if you need a tank in your list, yeah. this is the guy to go to. Absolutely. And you know, teams that might be tanky, he gets better if you have the room. So something like Asgard or something, or even Steve's Avengers, where it's like Steve has bodyguard. Lizard's getting a discounted throw. These are all good things. Like he is a great character in almost every team, Chris. I really think he's a quite a force in X Men because Colossus isn't here yet. Yeah. Well, Colossus is not here yet. And with the medium sized base, with the hop, with Storm's cover, mm-hmm. I mean, he's getting cover on the approach. And then when he's in the action, he's getting all the lizard tanky benefits. What's not to love? You know, it's one of those things like you can slot him in any team you truly want. I think he's an absolutely terrifying member of the criminal syndicate. Reducing damage, healing factor, counting as two, and pushing people off objectives with his tail. He's actually doing more things for the criminal syndicate than he does for spider foes, Chris. I agree. I I think (laughs) it might be his best fit. It might be. Yeah. And I I don't think that's a secret. I think think (laughs) the community knows that. But I'm not breaking new ground here, but... You just can't not say it. I mean, it's true. It's a strong team for him. It's it's honestly scary. I mean, I think he fits in Sin's Cabal quite well because we talk about how they swarm out doing all three threats and two threats and kind of fill the board and, and contest objectives and, and, and contest assets. And, you know, Lizard loves to do that. That's what he, he wants to be by the assets, by the secures at all times. Yes. You're playing OBJ with him. The whole game. And let's talk about that, Chris. So you mentioned this in our tournament report episode. The way I play Lizard is completely objective focused. And that's true. And that's kind of how I play him. I play him very aggressive early game, but not in, in the sense of attacking. I play him aggressive on my enemy secures or my enemies extracts. And I force a question out of them. Do you want to attack Lizard? Potentially not daze him. Waste your actions attacking Lizard. And then you don't come contest the objective. There's a lot of questions there for them. And it's very interesting. Well, I will tell you, it threw me for a loop the first time (laughs) you did it to me. Okay. Yeah. Double move to your secure. Yeah. Double move right into my secure with a character that's hard to take out and hard to move. Yep. Size three. Yep. So, you know, what do you do? You either either focus him or you shift your battle lines. Correct. You either just lean into him with all your attacks or you kind of leave him and let him score and you know let him do his thing and change your game plan and i love that chris i really do love that idea of the character and he is here to stay my friend oh and i'm happy for it because oh my god that model how many times will we say it but oh i know and now's the time to say it as we close out the episode that model jumping out of the sewer Mm. on the water with the sewer lid shooting off into the sky bravo absolutely chris this is stuff that would be unfathomable 20 years ago in miniatures sculpting, honestly. I, I'm just so impressed by Atomic Mass, what they keep churning out. Yeah, man. We are spoiled for sure. We should have known early on when they gave us Green Goblin what was to come. Because, I mean, Green Goblin is still one of the outstanding sculpts. And the punches kept coming, man. They gave us Angela. They gave us Cable. You know, and then Lizard comes out of nowhere. <laughs> out mm-hmm. of nowhere. And um, he's rivaling Cable and Green Goblin and and in a dynamic pose, but also just great sculpting. You know, it's not always just about 
the dynamism. It's 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 about it is about the character. What is the character? What are they portraying on the battlefield as someone walks by? And you know that's what's so great about Lizard. This isn't just a fun sculpt of him shooting out of the sewer. It's actually evocative of what the character does every time. You know, it's one of those things like it's not just flash. It's actually giving feel to this character we all know so well and love. It's just great. <laughs> it is great. It just it just does all it just it, like you said, it does everything you need it to do. And I mean, he is a character we all know. And I mean, yeah, we all like him, but man, there's <laughs> not much more past that. <laughs> Great design, you know, and that's a lot of Marvel, you know, it's just great design and it's a period right there and that's okay. We got to have those characters in the universe, but there's not much more to say, Chris, on strategy. Just try Lizard everywhere. Just try him everywhere. Do it, man. You're not going to be upset. You're not going to be let down. Just try him everywhere. Just don't expect him to do a lot of damage. Expect him to hold his ground, win a point, heal through it till late game. And if he dies late game, that's fine. He did his job. He scored points all game. He pushed people off objectives. He threw people away from him, his team and himself. And he got you those points. He got you the victory. And he died for the team, you know? And it it worked because it's really hard to kill him. And if they kill him late game, he got that far. He did his job. Excellently said. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Follow us on social media. Find the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at Fury's Finest. Email us at Fury's Finest at gmail.com with any inquiries or ideas. And if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, it really helps us out. But if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you have a different podcast platform. Any review helps the show grow. Chris, the reviews are still coming in. It's absolutely amazing and humbling. It's awesome. It's just awesome. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse said, every review helps. We've been doing really well on these podcast charts, and we love that. And there's 100% thanks to you guys. And we are just so, so, so indebted to you. And just thank you. We really do. We love you. We just do. Well, and we work so hard on this show every week, Chris, because we know the listeners are there and they want to hear the next episode. And it keeps us going, keeps us working all the time on the show and, you know, trying to improve every chance we get. So between the listeners and the patrons, this show exists. So thank you for that. Thanks. Of course, you can find Chris and I on social media. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N, where I sometimes tweet, to quote Chris. And also, I have a Star Wars show called The Canon Cantina. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, where the Thunder are winning too many games. Not good. I'm still very confused by this notion. You have to Just explain trust it to me. me. <laughs> Just trust me. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll talk off mic. Okay, good stuff. But that is our lizard episode. We hope you guys are ready for this season of the Spider Foes that has just now started. It's going to be a very exciting time, and it's going to lead right into our Spider-Man MCU experience in late December. So we hope that has you as hyped as it has us. It's almost like we planned it pretty cool. I think we did. But until next time, thanks for listening, True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 